So our daughter, Christy, and her husband, Jesse, are avid outdoors people. They run, they swim, they bike, they kayak, and they live in Boulder, Colorado. And so quite frequently, they go up into the mountains to go hiking. And when they do, they take our grandson, Alexander, with them, and they pack him on their back. And would it surprise you that even now at 18 months old, Xander now is an avid outdoorsman. A couple weeks ago, Christy sent us this video. Hi, that's amazing. You are so strong. What is that? And we haven't seen him since, so. <laughs> oh, he'll grow into it. You know, it's interesting, and you know this, especially if you've, you've been around children or raised them, that children understand life by the impression that other people place on them, the people that impress them the most. So tonight, we begin this four, night, four nights with kids' turn. And they're going to focus on impressing kids with vital life truths. And those truths are deeply rooted in who we are. And so I've been asking you, and I'll ask you again, who are we? Followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. I'll say it again. Who are we? Followers of Jesus. And what do we do? We do life together. So whether you have just brought home a newborn from the hospital or you have taken the responsibility of a child in the foster care system, or you've gone through all the red tape and adopted a child. Doing life together is also doing family life together, that we do life together as family. There is this family foundational truth that's tucked away in the Holy Scriptures where you would not really necessarily expect to find it. Around 563 B.C., King Cyrus of Persia, released the Jews from 70 years of captivity, and some 50,000 Jews joyfully went back to their homeland. Within a year, they began to rebuild the temple that had been demolished in the occupation previously. They laid the foundation, and it took them 20 years to build that temple. And then they built it because that temple became the center. It was the center of their culture. It was the center of their life. And you say, well, yay, that's great. We applaud them, so everything was fine. Well, the problem was that as time went on, subsequent to that, they began to live lifestyles that were responsible for the captivity in the first place. They became accustomed to a watered-down worship and a watered-down holiness. And the amazing thing was that, that as they did that, they also became frustrated with God because they said, we're living the way you told us to live. We're doing the worship thing. We're doing all you told us to do. And you're not blessing us the way that you said you should or would bless us. And so just, you know, just imagine this, that, that if, if tomorrow we're reading the paper that, that Pastor Jason robbed PNC Bank. And on the way out, he shot at a cop He's a horrible shot, so he missed him. 
He kicked a puppy, spit on a veteran, cussed out a priest, knocked over a Girl Scout cookie table, <laughs> stole a Salvation Army kettle, ran a bunch of red lights causing massive pileups, and then ran into his house and pushed his grandmother off the rocking chair onto the floor and hid in his room. And then he could hear the sirens of the police. They knew who he was. They came after him. And in his room, he's delighted that the cops are coming because he thinks the cops are coming to tell him, that was a great robbery. We are so impressed. In fact, let us help you count the money. You say, well, that's absurd. That's exactly what was happening here when these people who said, God, why aren't you blessing us? It was total absurdity. In fact, they came to a place that they began to accuse God of injustice. They began to say that God was not good. In fact, they began to say that he delights in evil. So God, in response, sends a prophet, one who speaks for God, named Malachi. And what Malachi had to say, if we could give it headlines, was simply this, are you nuts? You break every law of worship, holiness, and love, and you expect God's favor. So in that context, we find these words. Malachi 2.10. Have we not all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? He said, we all have one father. And who is that father? God. Who is the father? God. Which makes us, if we all have one father, that makes us what? Family. He said, why then do you deal treacherously with each other instead of doing life together? That deal treacherously means, why do you continually break the contract? Why do you break the covenant? Why do you find loopholes so that you can get your way? Why do you cheat the system? Why do you move ahead with this detestable act, and this is what was happening, that you take the wife of your youth and you get rid of her to go get a younger model, and the one that you bring into your family is one who worships another god, another idol, and now you've embraced that in your home. And what you are creating at home is contrary to how God designed the family. In this small section, we become aware of how important family is to God. And so Malachi continues, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? What does it say? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you and don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. The God of the angel army says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. You make God tired with all your talk. How do we tire him out, you ask? By saying, God loves sinners and sin alike. God loves everybody. And also by saying, judgment, God's too nice to judge. So if we wish to find God's favor on our families... We must recognize that God has designed family with very specific purposes, and we need to target those purposes. So joining this, me this morning is our director of Family Connections, Tara Mitchell. Tara, come on up here and join me. Say hello, Tara. Hello. And so we're going to have this discussion with you this morning for a few moments to talk about family. So Tara, tell us about how long you've been married and talk to us about, um, about your, your family, your kids. Uh, I've been married to Charlie. It'll be 10 years next month, which is just lovely. Yay. Um, good for Charlie. Uh, good, good for me. <laughs> um, 
Our daughter is eight. Her name is Anna, and she's our very intelligent, uh, math-minded eight-year-old. But she also loves to dance and flutter around the house wearing fairy wings, which is beautiful. And then we have our son, who is six, and he's a maniac. He's a complete <laughs> wild man. Um, He's pleasantly surprising us in kindergarten this year. We weren't quite sure what life was going to look like for Elijah Mitchell in kindergarten, but he's doing awesome. So he's super fun, just a rolling ball of energy. Those are our two children. <laughs> That's great. So now, there, there's a saying that says that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. And so I want to ask you a question. I've got a series of questions to ask you. What do you think our culture says that the target should be for raising kids, and what do you think God's intention is? You know, this topic came up a few years back when Charlie and I were in a Sunday school class, and it just totally challenged my parenting. And it was that the, the target for parenting um, must be holiness. So as parents, the target we set as parents must be that our kids to grow, up, grow up to be holy. And culturally, I think we are taught that our kids need to grow up to be happy and healthy and successful and great athletes and all of these seemingly wonderful things, but those things, if that's what we teach our children to chase, um, happiness is always just that moment. It's that moment of, I scored the goal, or that moment of, I got a new pair of shoes, or whatever, that moment. So it's, it's so temporary. But if we teach our children that holiness is the target, then a very straight byproduct of holiness is joy. And joy is the lasting happiness, like what you spoke, you taught on joy several months ago. Joy comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from what's currently happening in our life. So if we can aim target, center of the target, if that is holiness, um, as we raise our children to be more like Jesus, then they will find joy, and out of that joy, they'll be happy. I have a friend who's part of this community of faith who says that, that we believe in our culture that happiness comes from happenings. And then if those, when those happenings die down or when, when it doesn't fulfill, we can move on to another happening. What you have said is that the goal that you've got for your family is that, is that we, we teach our children what holiness is. And, and holiness in the scripture, as we look at it, really means to be other. When you, when you read about in, in the book of Isaiah where, where we see the scene in heaven and, and the, those, those creatures that surround the throne of God are saying, holy, 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 they're crying other, 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 other. In fact, there's this, this whole scene where they look at him on his throne they cry out, holy, holy, holy. They put their heads back down because they just, he's so other than anything they could ever imagine. And then they look back up and they be, begin to declare holy, holy, holy again because they see another part of him they never seen before. And this goes on forever and ever because he is so great and so other that, that it will take forever and ever just to begin to understand who he is and his very nature. And in, when you put it within a culture of community of faith and a culture of family, to, to declare that he is other and to teach someone to be holy is to, to teach that we need to take God and put him aside from everything else because he is worthy of not being put with anything that is temporary or profane. And, and, and so I want to ask you this question then. How do you set a Jesus worldview, this holiness Jesus worldview, for your kids? Well, we... We as parents, we've taken the stance that we need to be the example to our children in all of our area, in all the areas of our faith. Um, I can't expect somebody else to teach my kids to love Jesus. That's not, that's not fair to them. 
And that's not what God called me to do. So God called me to raise my children and Charlie together to raise our children to love Jesus. So we need to be the example. So parents, your kids need to see you in the Bible, in Scripture, in study, in prayer. Um, They need to see that. They don't want to hear you. They don't need to necessarily hear you talk about that you read the Bible, but let them catch you read the Bible. Even if you do that on purpose, even if you purposely set yourself up that your kids will walk out and see you reading the Bible, not because you're being a moment of like putting on a show, but sometimes you need to let them catch you so that a conversation can start. Mom, what are you reading? And then we can talk about it. Even at the tiniest age of, you know, when your kid's two years old, you can still have the conversation. I'm reading about Jesus. Did you know how much he loves you? Like it's the conversation just has to be open in your home of of the things of faith. So they need to see you reading your Bible and they need to see you going to church and making that commitment to community. Um, they come on Sundays. We, we bring our kids on Sunday mornings. We bring our kids on Wednesday nights. We, we have small group in our home so they see us together with our friends and our family that, that they see that's a priority in our life. And I think our words just only, our, our words only go so far, so they have to see it. Um, they need to see us as parents being generous, both with our time, uh, with our money, with our things, with extra things you've got to, and if somebody needs them, you can give them away. Um, you know, we packed a Thanksgiving bag, and Anna and I went just, we went to Walmart just for the sole intent of let's buy all the things that go into this Thanksgiving bag. And it was such a, I mean, it took us all of 20 minutes, but in that 20 minutes, our conversation was just driven by the fact that we are so blessed in our family that we can walk through these aisles and not only have food for our own family, but we can pack this entire bag for another family so that they can be able to celebrate Thanksgiving around their table with their family and with dinner. And it was such a, and you know, she's eight and she's starting to understand these things, but it's just such a, it was such an easy way to bring that conversation that not everybody has what you have. And the first, I remember, I'll never forget the first time she learned that not everybody has what we have. It was, uh, Women's Bible Study did a food drive and I, had, I was the one to take the food down to the city mission. And she was in the car and didn't think anything of the load of food in the back until I dropped it off. And she's like, why did you do that? And I said, well, because they don't, there are some families that just don't have enough. So, so we're giving them that. And, and she was just, what do you mean they don't have enough? What do you mean they don't have, you know, cereal for breakfast. I said, well, honey, some people just don't have it. And she said, well, where's their family? And it broke my heart because I'm so grateful and thankful she's growing up understanding that family is how you fill those needs, but not everybody has that. So again, it was just a natural opportunity for a conversation about what we as family can do for our greater family. So I think the bottom line of how to bring that worldview into the home is that uh, character is always caught. So be the person that you want your kids to grow up to be and be it in front of them. That's good. And, and, and I, wanna, I just want to reinforce one of the things that she's, she's saying is, is that if we're going to do life together as a community, then you especially have to do life together as a family. And that whatever you are doing with Jesus and for Jesus, walk them through with you and let them, let them see it and let them see the authenticity of that.
Malachi makes it really clear that the goal of a family then is godly children. And the best atmosphere for that to happen is in a loving family. And so whatever is foreign to worshiping God in that family is not embraced and that a strong marriage becomes a priority. The family relationship is a covenant relationship with God. So that we as a family and our family will say, let's love God together with our whole heart. Here's how we do this. And that we love each other to the place that we do not break our covenant vows with each other. That we make marriage work even when it's tough. Because covenant means this. This is the working definition of covenant. If it matters to you, it matters to me. So I want to ask you, how do you and Charlie try to create a healthy marriage, and how do you create a home life that honors God and combats destructive cultural influences? Well, uh, kids definitely build their idea of marriage around what their parents' marriage looks like. So we really try to live out our marriage in front of them as well. Um, so we, we try to model that, I guess would be a better word. Uh, because children definitely, whether we like it as parents or not, our kids are going to grow up with the understanding of marriage based on what our marriage looks like. It's kind of like it or not, that's what, that's what it is. So we're trying really hard to um, make that example a positive one. Uh, you know, we, we are very specific about spending time together, just Charlie and I. Just, and whether that's watching TV or going to a movie, you know, we've always put... A very wise friend told us when my kids were first born, put your kids to bed early because then you'll still like your spouse when they've grown and moved out. <laughs> because, so then in the evenings, we ha our, so our kids go to bed you know, between 7 and 7.30 still, but that gives me and Charlie that hour and a half, two hours every single night, just the two of us, that we haven't lost each other in the midst of these early years of parenting. It's easy for your marriage to be set aside, um, but we've been very intentional of you know, making, making each other still the focus in the midst of it. Um, and we're very purposeful about date nights. And those are just two very practical things, date nights and just making sure every day you have time carved out for each other because it's, it is really easy to be able to, to set that aside. And you never want to do that because that's what your kids need. Uh, and another thing we've learned, this just happened in the last year as that example of... Um, modeling in marriage, uh, something happened, and, one, and my kids, my daughter apologized. She said, Mommy, I'm sorry. I said, it's okay. And that was my response. It's okay. And afterwards, Charlie, um, you know, pulled me aside, and he was like, we can't say that. I'm like, what do you mean we can't say that? He's like, it's not okay. You, they can't keep, they can't do, you know, I don't even remember what it was. Who knows what it was? But I was always, I think we both were always just saying, oh, it's okay, I love you, it's okay, I love you. We were, which we never, so that meant like we never were living out the act of forgiveness. It was just always like a blanket, it's okay. So now we are extremely intentional on, Anna, I am sorry. I, you know, mommy was wrong, I'm sorry. And her response to me is, I forgive you. And it, back, you know, the opposite of that too, when my kids apologize to me, our response is, it's okay, I forgive you. And Charlie and I to each other, in front of our children, they hear me apologize to him and him say the words, I forgive you, which we, that's really new to us. And I'm not going to lie, there are moments where it is really awkward because it's just like, <laughs> it's just awkward. But it's such an important lesson because 
it's not just it's okay, it's that act of forgiveness that's the powerful part because then we can, when they're still sad about it, I can say no, it's, it's gone, it's done, it's forgiven, which is also a great example of Jesus. So it, it all plays together. Okay, so, so one of the things that we always deal with, and especially families and with kids involved in so many activities, we, we live in such a frenetic culture. We're just, we think that if we're busy, we're getting things done. So I want, I want to ask you, how do you and Charlie create a family cadence that allows you time to build a love for God and also gives you time to impart vital life skills to your kids? Uh, we, as a family, to build community in our home, we've, we do life together. Uh, I know that's our, that's our statement of the church, but that's really the statement of our family is community in the home is built on doing life together, um, which means we pretty much do everything together. Uh, so, you know, as a family, you can serve together. Serve Erie is a ridiculously awesome opportunity for a family to serve together. There are specific uh, options on that day that the, your whole family can go to one place and be together for three straight hours serving where your kids then get that example again, but then when you're doing it with them. Um, I think serving together is is a great way for families to connect and, and reduce the, the drive of the culture. Um, simple things like the Thanksgiving bags or the Royal Family Kids Camp boxes. My kids love to pack the Royal Family Kids Camp boxes. In the summer, Eli packs the boys' box and Anna packs the girls' box. And it's such a, again, it's just that practical way of, this is really what other, it makes it, it, makes it real to my kids at that point. Um, it's super important to have fun as a family. That's, I mean, seriously, it's just like really high on our list as a family to have fun. And fun looks different for every family. So whatever it takes for your family to have fun, do it. If that's vacations, if that's you know, going to the beach or you know, going to get ice cream or going to the movies. My family's terrible at the movies. My kids are the ones that run up and down the aisle and disrupt everybody. So we don't do that. That's not a fun activity for us. But we... <laughs> It's awful, actually. Um, and it's not fun for anybody else if you're there with us. It's just terrible. Um, How do you guys uh, create traditions? What do you do? I love traditions. I must have unknowingly grown up in a home that loved traditions, which is just, I never thought about it until I had my own kids, and we love traditions. And this is the time of year. If you don't do traditions, but you're interested in it, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holidays is a perfect time. Uh, you know, we do... Every single year we spend $8 on a gingerbread house and we sit for hours with the video camera running because we tape everything as well. Um, and we record ourselves building the gingerbread house and then we watch it directly following. Um, <laughs> because we've already forgot if we put the red jelly bean or the... It's, it's, but that's what we do every single year. My kids look forward to it. Uh, they know it's coming. They know um, we go on a sleigh ride every single year. Uh, you know, we... We just do these, th and they're not huge things. They're not these big, they don't have to be these big things. It's the little things that, that, that they're going to remember. It's the little things that make the impact in their life and that bring that community down to a smaller level in our home. I, I remember after Pam and I were first married, uh, we were getting ready for Christmas, and, 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 and so we're getting ready, and, and she starts to do something. She gets ready. She says, okay, tomorrow morning, in my, in, in my family, we, we open gifts on Christmas morning, one on Christmas Eve in the morning. So we get up early, and we go. And so I said, tomorrow morning, we'll get up. And she said, oh, no, we won't. So what do you mean we won't open our gifts in the morning? She said, it's not our tradition. I said, what do you mean it's not our tradition? We don't have a tradition. 
She said, it is our tradition. Well, it was her tradition that the first things you do in the morning, biscuits and gravy or breakfast, and then, so we, and so we kept that, so our kids would have to suffer through eating breakfast yeah. before they could open up the gifts. So if my kids are warped, it's her fault. So I agree, get your traditions going yeah, and, and hopefully be merciful. It's just super fun. It's something, to, it's just to look forward to it. And then it's great even in the, you know, when it's happening, it's fun. But, and they'll look back on it. They'll remember it forever. I, I guarantee you, my kids will remember forever that we build a gingerbread house every year. Yeah. Now, to, to help families here at Erie First, uh, deepen their love for God, create healthy families, and support each other, because we're, we're doing this together. It, it, as, as you're raising a family, community really should be surrounding you and helping you in the raising of, of your children. Uh, what are you and your team doing right now for opportunities? I know that you've only been working with us right now for a couple of months, and so it's taken time to start forming some things. But what are the things in the near future that you and your team are starting to work on? Uh, well, I'm super excited um, to tell you that we, starting in January of next year of 2016, which is only two weeks, two months away, um, we have a MOPS coming to Erie first, which has been like years in the making. MOPS. Okay, so what is MOPS? Because most, most of these people out here think I you're know, talking about the stuff is. you scrub the floor with. So we're not going to make you scrub the floor. Uh, MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschoolers, and quite honestly, the name's a little deceptive because really it means. Um, mothers who are pregnant through your kids in kindergarten. So it's a wider age range than just the typical preschool age. So it is a community of moms that you come together, you're in the same life stage, you're in the, you, it's like you're all in, that, you're all in the same boat. And it, what is wonderful about it is that um, you rarely have to explain why you have, you know, vomit on your shirt, or why your shoes don't match, or why your kid left the house with one sock on, or what, like, because that is the stage we're all in. So it's like, it's just this really interesting camaraderie of moms, because um, there's something different about the age, the birth to age four age range, because it's just unpredictable. But when you're with other moms who are also in that unpredictable boat with you, uh, it's very comforting. It's very, and then they're, you know, they come alongside, we come alongside each other. Um, well, this is what happened when my kids went through that. This is what happened when, um, when I was feeling like that. This is what uh, we did. All of that is just how, again, we do life together. We grow together. Some of my very best friends still, um, are the moms I met around my very first mops table, which was five years ago, and we still meet. We call ourselves a book club. However, we've never read a book. Um, but <laughs> what else can we call each other? But um, it does, it just, and it's, they're still the moms that I call and say, I don't know what to do, right, with this, because this is new. Uh, for my family in particular, uh, Charlie and I were the first to have children in our family. So we don't, we are, we're raising the oldest. So there isn't somebody for me to naturally go to and say, how did you handle this? But knowing that I have this group of girlfriends who some of their kids are, are older than ours and some of their kids are younger than ours, but knowing that we're in it together that you can ask any questions you need to ask. But that's what MOPS is. MOPS builds that camaraderie. Their statement is, a better mom makes a better world, which is just pretty self-explanatory as to what the, the mission of their group is. But So that's coming January... 
Um, the second and fourth Mondays, starting in January, Monday evenings, we'll be meeting. I'll be in the lobby afterwards to talk about MOPS if anybody is interested or has any questions. Uh, Beth Pettis has taken that on with me, so if you see Beth, pat her on the back, tell her you're praying for her, because it's a big undertaking, um, but we're excited. So that's one of the things, and I think we have a video, maybe. Do we? Do we have a video of MOPS? We do. Hooray! When I became a mom, I felt so excited and so scared at the same time. When I became a mom, I began to really get what was important. I began to get what was really important. My mom says that mothering isn't what she expected. I don't know why. I wanted to be a great mom, but just didn't know where to start. I needed friends. When I became a mom, I knew this baby was gonna ask me about God someday, and I didn't know what to say. Then my sister. My next door neighbor. My mom. A lady in the checkout lane. Then a mom at playgroup told me about mops. She said, I don't have to have it all together to join. She said I would meet some new friends and there would be great food. She told me that I could have a break for two hours and that someone else would take care of my kids. I was definitely in. I was so in. She said I didn't have to belong to a church to go try it. She told me that Mops had changed her life. She told me Mops had changed her life. I started Mops and I realized that I was welcome and I didn't have to have it all together. I was welcome just as I am. I realized that there are women out there who gladly listen to you vent over a cup of coffee. Or come over when you're sick with enough lasagna to feed a small army. I started Mops and realized that the world will be different because of what I'm doing every day with my kids. Because of what I'm doing every day with my kids. God has a plan for my children's lives and He loves them more than I ever could. I realize God is real and He wants a relationship with me. Mops has changed me. I'm a better wife because of the support I have for Mops. My marriage is stronger. My marriage is stronger. Mommy is always trying new things on me that she learned at MOPS. I'm closer to God and so is my entire family. MOPS taught me that what I am doing really matters. It really matters. That I have influence and I'm a leader. MOPS has changed my life completely. MOPS has changed my life completely and given me friends that I'll have forever. It really is that wonderful. I know it sounds like, it's just, it's a great thing. So that's coming in January. Um, we're also starting a week from tomorrow, we're starting something called Monday Morning Moms, um, which will take place in the hospitality room on Monday mornings at 9.15. If you are a mom with young kids, we are inviting you and your kids to come to the hospitality room for a play date, just a time to be together, the moms to hang out, the kids to play. Um, it's not a drop and go, it's the mom comes and stays so that we can get to know you and you can get to know us and our kids can get to know each other and we can just have a good time. Um, so that will be the first and third Monday mornings at 9.15 in the Hospitality Center. Uh, we have a few um, young married groups that one has started, one is coming. Uh, if anybody's interested in something like that, just building community and um, again, that whole the young marrieds all together with um, another couple who can just speak truth into their lives, into their relationship. Uh, and then we're working on some just fun family nights, like just bring your family, come have fun together, all of us together. Um, so there's some things coming. 
We're excited. Uh, maybe some Playland Playdates, which is just tricky, or tricky, catchy name anyway, <laughs> uh, which would be fun in the winter, because sometimes you feel like, how am I going to make it through winter? So we thought maybe we could... Um, <laughs> But I hear it's going to be a light winter this year, so we're going to believe for that. We're hoping you're prophetic. Uh, <laughs> so watch your bulletins for more uh, opportunities coming up. Okay, so now Malachi, as we've read through this, makes it very clear that, that the family is as much about the children as it is about the, the husband and wife. So I, I got a, one of these, these questions that just goes to the heart of the matter. So what do you think is the ultimate goal of parenting? The ultimate goal of parenting is that children grow up and their dependence transfers from the parent to the Lord. And I think that's another thing that goes against the cultural idea. Um, we think our kids need to grow up to be independent. And really, that's not what you want. We want our children to grow up and shift their dependence from us and fully onto the Lord, uh, which that's our, that's our goal. So we live, in a, we live in a culture that, that's competing for our heart. So I'm going I'm to ask you, what is the core upon which everything you do is based? Because that core is your values. And it's those values that dictate how you act. And it's those values that give us permission to say no to those opportunities that would violate our relationships. Family is created in covenant. It is an extension of our love for God. God has knit man and woman together as one with the breath of life. And then he says, I want you, I, com I command you to tend to this connecting life-giving breath with the goal, the eventual goal of becoming fruitful, creating this seed of God and tending this seed according to what Malachi is saying in the scriptures that you will find that surround these thoughts Tell us that if we tend the seed of family, the seed of the children, it will bring forth the, the presence and the, and the peace and the prosperity of God. In fact, let me just be as bold to say this. If we are not tending to the wife and husband of our vow, there's little chance that we are tending our relationship with God. If we are not tending to the holy life of our children, there's a pretty good, a pretty good chance that we are not tending to our relationship with God. Covenant says if it matters to, to you, it matters to me, and family matters to God, therefore it must matter to us. So Malachi ends this section with these words, so tend to your breath of life and do not deal treacherously with your family. In other words, be very faithful to and focused on your family and do life together. So a few weeks ago, someone asked me to find success. They were struggling with how things were going at their job. And so now I'm about to turn 61, and, and I guess I'm entering into that, that, that time of being a wise sage, or just old. And I thought about it, and I, and, I, and I looked back into the 40 years that I have committed my life to the community of faith, and what I thought success was in that process. And how, how I ruled with perfectionism, because if I did things perfectly, then it would meet this formula, and then people would look at me and say, hey, you are a success. And so as I process that through now, and, and I'll be honest with you, I used, to, I used to look at, when I was 20, I thought, well, in 20 more years, I'll be 40, and eh, that'll be okay. I see 40-year-olds, they look pretty ancient, but I, I can handle that. And when I turned 40, I thought, 60, wow, you know, my, when my parents were 60, I thought they were dead already. And... And so now I'm 60 and I'm thinking, in 20 years, I'll be 80. 
Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> so I thought, what, what do I, now that I'm looking at this, what, what really seems success, successful to me? And, and so this is my definition of success. First of all is to really know and enjoy God, to really have a great time with God, and to complete the tasks for which we have been created, and to end life respected and loved by our family and our close friends. Because if I can say that the people I really respect that are close to me respect me and honor me, I know that I have been a success. Everything else has no substance and is not worth my effort. So here's my question. What is your family mission, and what are you doing to accomplish it right now, purposefully doing? What have you targeted? You say, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm single, I don't, I don't, I don't, or I'm not living with family or whatever. I want to just tell you that, that you don't really understand the influence that you have, especially if you're an uncle or an aunt, or if you have been, been connected in, the, in, the, in this church community with families, other people's families, you have influence also. And so this week, here's what I want to encourage us to do. If you are in a family that has a, a mom and a dad and you have kids and mom and dad, this week, would you sit down and say, what's our mission? What's our goal? We, we heard Tara go through this stuff about, about the holy life and, and about the, the, the goal is, is this thing. And, and how are you getting there? If you're a single parent, who are you connected to? And if you're not, let's get you connected. Well, you can sit down with another parent who's maybe single and say, how, what are you doing to reach your kids? And how are you handling this? They've just gone into adolescence. How do I, how do I deal with this issue? And, and if you are a single person connected to, to family, you can say to those people, what can I do to help you with your mission for your family? Because I love your family. I, I want to be part of your family. And, and we want you to be part of our family. And what can I do to encourage you? And maybe you're at that, that place you can say, can I come over and take care of your kids while you guys go out on a date? There's a, so many things we can do. But we're going to do life together. And we want to see our families grow up to be healthy. Do life, doing life together means that we do family life together. And kids learn. They learn about life from the people who, who impress them. How are you impressing the kids in your life? How we treat family is how we treat God. And eventually, how he blesses us. We have one father, which makes us one family. A family needs to protect each other, and part of that protection is prayer. And so we've challenged you today about family. We've challenged you to connect as a husband and wife and with kids and, and helping the families within this community of faith. And one of the most important things we can do is pray for each other. And may I encourage you, and may I, let me just say this, husbands, who's praying for your wife if you're not? Do you even know? Do you know what her pain is, what her hurts are, what her frustrations are? Ladies, do you know what your husband is struggling with at work, with his own pride, his own ego? How are you praying for him? Do you know what your kids need? Have you sat down and talked to them and really realized what they need? One of the things that Pam and I have done in the past is when our kids, we realize they're going through a hard time, we find scripture that deals with that and we pray that scripture into their lives. We even have adult kids right now who we think are screwing up. And so we're finding scripture is praying it into their lives. Prayer is a powerful weapon. 
And so let me encourage you, to, and, and you may see families around you, maybe your family's not close by, but you know what they're going through because the, the people around you, pray for them. And so this morning, we're going to conclude this gathering because we are family, we are doing life together with prayer. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. And can we do this, and you say, well, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with this. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> sue me. What I want you to do is I want you, because we're going to pray together as family, and Tara's going to lead us in prayer over families, but because we are connected in doing life together in families, I'm going to ask you to just reach out and take the hand of the person next to you. If you have to stretch across the aisle, and you can do that, do that. But we're going to end our gathering by praying over each other, and you're going to pray for the people on your right and the left, and what, who their family may be, and you may know their family, you may not. But I want us to connect in prayer and, and as Tara's praying, would you agree with her? Because the scripture says where two or three agree on touching any one thing, it shall be done. And so we, we want to do that. So Tara, come on up here. Let me hold your hand. I'm going to pray for your family as you're, as you're praying over this entire church family. So would you now join us and let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this day. Um, I thank you for the families in our church. Um, I just, I pray that you would always be the center of our families. I pray that our homes will be a place of rest and of peace. I pray that our homes will be a refuge when people need to come in, that they would find that rest and peace. Um, I ask that you would help us align our hearts with your heart and with your intention for us as we raise our children. I pray that you'd help us remember that our target in this parenting adventure is holiness. Even when culture points us toward and encourages us toward something different, I pray you'd give us the strength and the wisdom to create the boundaries needed to create, needed to um, enforce those, that thing that we're searching for with the holiness as our target. So I just pray that you would direct our steps. I pray that you would be with the marriages in this church. Lord, that they would focus on each other as they're focusing on you, that they would continue focusing on each other. God, that the marriages wouldn't get lost in the midst of the parenting. Um, Father, I pray that that would be a priority in their life because it's such an important priority as they're passing that on to their children. So I just pray that you would be in the marriages of this church, Lord, that they would be strong, that they would be empowered by who you are, and that we would be passing those things on to our children. Uh, God, I thank you for what you're doing in the children of our church. I thank you for opportunities like Kids Turn and how that will impart the truths of who you are in your scriptures into our children's lives. And I pray that us as parents will then take those truths and continue to walk it out with our kids. I pray that we would be the godly example that you've set us to be. And I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the understanding of how to do it when it's hard, when it's frustrating, when we don't know what to do. I pray that you would be our source, that you would be our strength. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for this day. And I just pray that you would go with us as we leave, that you get us home safely. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.